0: Hi, this is Peter King, and this is the PK Podcast Experience. I have a number of interviews that I want to publish, and the very first one that I'd like to share with you is an interview that I did with Simon Sinek a few years ago. And Simon Sinek is the author of a book called Start With Why. He's also the TED Talk speaker for a talk that he gave, uh, also conveniently called Start With Why, Uh, or actually it was called, uh, how leaders inspire others to take action. But he talked about starting with why starting with purpose. And I chose this as my first podcast release because it all starts with why it does start with purpose. Purpose is the fuel to get you to your destination, to your dream, to your vision. And so with that, I am going to turn it over here. And this is my interview with Simon Sinek. Thanks for listening. All right. Simon Sinek, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Uh, Simon is the author of Start With Why, and uh, Simon really started to uh, blossom in the business community after his talk, uh, TED Talk, about um, what inspires leaders to take action, or how leaders inspire others to take action. Um, So, Simon, in that video, I saw this video about a year and a half ago. It really had a profound impact on me because of the way that you articulated um, inspiration and why we do what we do. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you call the golden circle.
1: Sure. Um, a few years ago, I made a stark discovery that sort of changed my view on how business works and why we do what they do. Um, I learned that every single organization on the planet, even our own careers, always functions on three levels, the same three levels, what we do, how we do it, and why we do it and things that I usually articulate in a bullseye, why, how, and what, um, sort of, it's in this naturally occurring pattern that, that exists in biology, so it's not even my opinion, which is the coolest thing, but it explains why, or how the great leaders, everything from Apple to Martin Luther King, how they inspire. And uh, in a nutshell, every single one of us knows what we do. These are the products we sell, the, the services we offer. Some know how we do it, whether you, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition or your proprietary process, but very, very few of us can clearly articulate why we do what we do. And by why, I don't mean to make money. That's a result. By why, I mean what's your purpose, what's your cause, what's your belief? And so. It's, it's the rest of us that tell people what we do and how we're different and, and try and convince people to choose us over the competition. Um, but it's those leaders and those organizations with the capacity to inspire that don't start with what they do, they start with why they do it. They tell you why they get out of bed in the morning, why the company even exists in the first place. Then they tell you how they go about per, you know, advancing that cause and then their products or services simply um, serve as a, a proof of that purpose. So let's talk about me, right? Um, uh, here's, a, here's an example before I learned about this, uh, this, this golden circle people would say hey Simon you're the most dreaded question in the world what do you do you know, <laughs> and I would say oh I'm a marketing consultant right and then I'd say how I say how I did it I say well I've got really great clients and I take sort of a, a, a different perspective from everybody else and I, and I work with people like uh, you know ABC Sports and AOL and uh, you know Microsoft and companies like that and you know we do big companies and small companies and we, you know we do all kinds of marketing internal and, extra. and This is a, it's the same rigmarole that you've heard a thousand times it doesn't yeah. even sound special but you know <laughs> this is why we keep talking right to try and make it sound more special we think if we throw more spaghetti against the wall some of it will stick Right. Cool. Um, and then I learned about this thing called the why, and I I literally don't even talk about what I do, Um, I just talk about what I believe. And so now when somebody says, what do you do? I say, I teach leaders and organizations how to inspire people. And the way I go about that is by using this little tool that I call the Golden Circle, which is grounded in the biology of human decision making. And I get to teach or write or speak, and it doesn't really matter what I do. What matters is that everything I do is devoted to inspiring people to do what inspires them. And the great part is I've got to work with all kinds of big companies and small companies and work in all kinds of areas. But I'm completely focused on inspiring people to do what inspires them. And it's a completely different pitch, you see, because now anybody who, you know, believes in this concept of inspiration or people immediately perks up. Um, Where the old way, it's like you have to try and Say one thing that lands, you know, that maybe they're interested. Now they don't care what companies I mention. They don't even care, you know. People say, "How do I? How do I hire you?" I'm like, "Well, I don't work with people, you know, very often." (laughs) So so you start to generate, you start to generate um, demand where you you don't even have a product. Um, So it's it's all about it's all about knowing. But before you start with why you do it, you you have to know why you do what you do. So that's a little tricky bit.
0: It is. Uh, you know, I, I opened this up to my uh, to my community and I asked, I said, hey, I'm going to be speaking with Simon. What questions do you have? And one of the interesting questions that I got was, um, which you started to lead into a little bit, which is, why does why even matter? Yeah. Um, what's your response to that?
1: Ah, it's such a good question. It's such an obvious question. Uh, it rarely gets asked, to be honest. <laughs> um, uh, why matters uh, at a very fundamental uh, biological and anthropological level. Um, The way the human brain makes decisions corresponds precisely with this little idea called the golden circle. Our neocortex, which is our homo sapien brain, our newest brain, is responsible for all of our rational and analytical thought and language. That's the what level, right? Um, So whereas the, uh, the limbic brain, which corresponds with the other two levels, is responsible for all of our feelings, like trust and loyalty. It's also responsible for all human behavior, all decision, and has no capacity for language. So why why matters at a biological level is, yes, people can understand vast amounts of complicated information, like facts and figures and features and benefits and data and information and numbers and performance and all of that stuff. So yes, we can, we can understand vast amounts of it. It just doesn't drive behavior. When we talk directly about the why, we're talking directly to the, the, the behavior center of the brain, And it drives our behavior, it inspires us, it it pushes other, and then we rationalize that behavior later because the part of the brain that controls decision making doesn't control language. This is where gut decisions come from, right? Part of your stomach that controls decision making, you know, and it's not on your blood or bones and you're not following your heart. And the reason we say it just feels right is because the part of the brain that controls feelings. Uh, also controls decision-making, but we can't put it into words. Why, when we ignore all the data, this one feels better. Why? I, uh, I don't know. It just feels right, you know? And that's, that's, that's the biological reason why why matters. The anthropological reason why why matters is because we're social animals. You know, our very survival depends on our ability to form communities. Our very survival depends on our ability to surround ourselves with people who believe what we believe, Because when we're surrounded by people who believe what we believe, trust emerges. This, This feeling, trust is a feeling, it's a human experience. And trust emerges, right? And when we're in an environment, when we're in a community, when we're in a neighborhood, when we're in a company, where we trust them and they trust us, we're more willing to take risks, we're more willing to explore, we're more willing to experiment with the confidence that if we turn our backs, go away or fall over, Someone will watch our backs, watch our stuff, or help us up. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're more likely to survive. <laughs> our very survival, our very sense of joy and happiness and contentment and safety can only exist when we're in communities of people who believe what we believe. And belief and, and, and values are what engenders trust, not just doing everything you say you're going to do. That, that doesn't engender trust. That's just reliability. You know, I work with plenty of companies that do everything they say they're going to do, but I would drop them like a hot potato if something <laughs> better came along, you know? And I work with plenty of other companies that screw up all the time and they're not that cheap and, and yet I'm not open to any other options because I love them. And that's the word I use, you see, love. Like is rational. Yeah, I really like them, you know? They have a good product. They do good work. I really like them. Do you love them? No, I mean, no, no as opposed to I love working with that person or I love working with that company no matter what else you sell me no matter what else you promise me I'm just not interested so that's the reason why why matters because without it you may be successful and you may make money but you never find joy you never find long-term fulfillment you don't wake up inspired uh, to go to work, you don't come home fulfilled by the work that you do. Um, and at the end of the day, you become very self interested because it's about my survival, paying the bills, you know, f- feeding the kids, you know, gotta pay the mortgage, as opposed to looking out for each other. And great societies, like great companies, like great organizations, like great neighborhoods, <laughs> are when we look out for each other.
0: Yeah, you know, I, th- I think there's a very, uh, a real obvious business case to that, which is in a flattened economy in a flattened world where all things being equal what's going to differentiate you from somebody else identifying your why identifying your beliefs really help you uh, resonate with your audience and rise above all the noise and distraction that we're so you know there's such a attention deficit in this in this economy right now and um, so there's a real business case i think for that as well that's why I think this message you know, really has impacted the business community because yeah. we, we don't think about that as much.
1: Yeah. Um, I would put it another way, which yeah. is when you talk about everything being flattened, I'd say pretty much every product or service on the market today is now a commodity. You know? And a commodity is defined by that which can only be, compete on price, quality, service, and features. <laughs> if that's all you got, you're a commodity you know? And then when you talk about resonance, I mean, listen to the word we use, it resonates. What does that mean? It means you have a vibration. That's what resonate means, right? But it kind of does mean that, right? When you resonate with another person, right? It means that there is that emotional connection. Emotional connection doesn't mean you make people cry. Emotional connection means you connect with them in that limbic part of the brain, the part of the brain that controls emotions, Right, that's what an emotional connection means. It means we connect on a values and beliefs level, and so the feeling you get—it is literally a resonance. <gasps> oh, this feels great, you know. That it's a res- it is a resonance, um, but not in the traditional um, sort of physics uh, uh, metaphor. But yeah. it, it,
0: it's I really feel right. like I really feel like this is a step up for mankind because there's 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 really you know the. There's the business community that says, "Oh, this is the magic pill. This is the the silver bullet that allows me to make more money." But you can't fake it. I mean, there ha- it has to be authentic. Yes. Um, and otherwise the community is going to reject it. So, I, I again, I love this concept. I love that idea because in the, in the business sense, it makes us better business, uh, you know, partners with our customers.
1: Yeah. Um, and the reason it can't be faked is because we're hardwired. Don't forget, our survival depends, as as a human species, our survival depends on our ability to find people who believe what we believe, which is why the video conference will never replace the business trip. Not in a million years would you sign a a big deal with somebody, you know, without getting the opportunity to shake their hand and look them in the eye. This does not count. You know? Most of the time we're looking at ourselves anyway when we do these things, right? uh, it's like it's a nice to look at you but you and I you know it's much harder to connect you know versus sitting next to somebody you, you can meet someone online but you won't marry them until you go on a date with them yeah. and so this is what people forget which is the human animal is hardwired for this stuff and we, we're attuned to it which is why we, which is why we don't trust politicians they tell us what we want to hear but it doesn't something not right because we it's just it's just not doesn't feel right because there's consistency that's not there and businesses are the same way you know, which is we attempt to tell people what they want to hear, in the hope that we will they will find us appealing. Um, but the reality is, the more you try and do that, uh, the more it falls flat on its face. Um, the whole concept of, of of some of these branding exercises, where you go out into the market and ask all your customers what you should who you should be and what you should do. What if I ask you to go ask your friends? You know, go, go. I want you to do this. At the end of this call, I want you to call up your your your, your best friend and say, hey. How do you want me to talk to you and how do you want me to dress so that you'll like me more? <laughs> and your friend is going to be like, what? You're going to be like, well, my relationship with you really matters and I want to do right by you because I put my friends first. And so I want you to tell me how you want me to dress and how you want me to talk to you so that you'll like me more and that we can be friends for a long time. And you're, I mean, it's, rid- it's a ridiculous exercise. Your friends will be like, I don't know, just be yourself. That's what they're going to tell you. Right? right. well it's just as stupid when we go out and ask our customers say, well, look, we're really customer focused and we care about you so tell us how you want us to act and how you want us to be so that you'll like us for the long term it's the same nuttiness it's yeah, a human it really relationship is. it's a human relationship
0: um, great great point um, the number one question that I got when, when I uh, asked, uh, asked my community was how do you know when you've identified your why and what is the litmus test for knowing that
1: Yeah, it's, uh, again, because this exists in the emotional part of the brain, you can rely on your emotions to give you clues as to whether you're on it or not, right? In other words, we're not looking for it to sound good. We're not looking to say, I think this is right, you know? We don't want that that neocortical reaction. We want something limbic. We want to say, whoa, that's it, that's it. You want an emotional reaction. If you can say something or put it into words that you can give yourself goosebumps, it's an emotional reaction, right? Or you can make yourself well up with tears. It's an emotional reaction. Or the best words you can muster up to describe it is just like, "Oh wow, Whew. oh yeah, oh that is awesome, man. That is, that is awesome, right? Like it's 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 just like that. And it and it, and um, and very often it's an iterative process. So you might throw something against the wall. you be like, yeah, it's it feels right. Like I'm in the I'm in the ballpark, but I'm I'm not there yet. That's how we'll talk, right? Yep. You know, I mean there, where, where you going, right? But we're trying to put into words, emotions, with the part of the brain that doesn't control language, right? So this is how it comes out. But if you keep going through it, and the and the better you get at talking about Yourself, strangely enough, sort of why you do what you do, not why you think customers will like you, uh-huh. not why you think you're different in the marketplace. Well, you know, really, why we do what I do, what we do, is because you know, with our product, people really have. A, no, 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 no. You completely. You still, you're still dancing around the outside. It's when you can say the reason I took a huge risk to start this business because there's a hell of a lot of choice out there and. the the overwhelming opportunity of failure by doing it alone and I took a huge pay cut and a huge cut in benefits and I convinced my friends, I inspired my friends to do the same thing because they believed in me and I don't have any resources and I can't compete against the big companies and I got no advertising and yet it's still worth it? (laughs) That's the reason I want to know. Why is it still worth it? What was the human problem that you were trying to solve? What's the reason that you thought this was so important that you had to do it? right? And if it's to fill a market opportunity, then you're probably going to fail anyway because uh-huh. there is no cause. It's just expediency or, or hope to to make a buck, right? And that lasts for about that long and then you run out of steam. Well, here,
0: so here's a good follow-up question to that, which is to what extent does economics factor into uh, your why? I mean, I, I hear what you're saying and in, in your video you say that Uh, You know, financial profits is really a result, but for that business owner, for that entrepreneur, for that person who's providing for their family or providing for their employees and their um, and their shareholders or customers, economics do need to play into it. Does it not? I mean, at what point do you say it's a it's a non issue? But you know, maybe your cause is to do something that has no monetary benefit. You know, where do you draw that line? How much does that factor into your? your discovery of, of your why?
1: Well, in terms of the discovery, zero, right? Because money is always a measurement, right? Yep. It's what it is. You can literally write it down in numbers, right? It's a measurement, right? Um, and all three levels of the golden circle must be there for you to have balance, right? The problem is most organizations are fixated on what and how. And we, we call that tactics and strategy, right? Mm-hmm tangible, and and, and process, strategy, tactics, right? Um, And what's are always measurable and always tangible, and money, no matter how you want to gauge it or however you want to measure your your progress, is always a what. And so when you obsess about what and how, you're out of balance, because you need all three. But equally as as dangerous is to be, you know, what did Thomas Edison say? Uh, Vision without execution is hallucination, right? (laughs) You can be all why, and you got no goods, it's, ju- it's just as ridiculous. And so you can have the world's biggest vision but if you can't actually execute, if you can't actually get anything out the door, that's going to fail just as, just as much. That's going to be just a soul, soul-sucking uh, uh, you know, that's, that's, and, and, and sadly that's, that is probably the, the, the role of most entrepreneurial failures yeah. which is tons of vision, tons of passion, complete inability to produce any process Complete inability or at least struggle, expensive of energy to ship uh, and after a couple of years you run out of resources or, or will and, you, and it collapses. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so absolutely the money matters just not first.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely the quality of the product matters, just not first. That you know, makes sense. It, it, comes, it comes later as proof as a result that this cause resonates.
0: Okay, so so walk us through the the, the the process for discovering your why. Give us sort of the big picture. What are the stepping stones to to discovering your why?
1: It can happen quickly or slowly depending on the person and depending on the process. You know, when I sit down to do it with people, um just because of practice, I've been doing it for a few years now, uh it used to take me, you know, a day, and I got it down to half a day, and now I'm down to about twenty minutes, <laughs> which is fun. Um uh, but you know this why discovery process that we offer at uh, at startwithy.com, you know, at the Y University, it goes through the complete process. to you not only know, learn your whys, your why. Your there's only one, but you also learn how you do those things, your hows, right? The the, the, the guiding principles and the values, you you, you your, your your natural strengths um, that gear you. And and the process of why is fundamentally an origin story. Where do you come from? Why, why did this thing begin in the first place, right? So our personal whys will come from our upbringing, from how we grew up. It's our origin story, you know? It's the lessons we learned from our teachers, from our parents, the experiences we had growing up. And your why is fully formed probably by your, by your late teens, you know? Um, and you are who you are by your late teens, maybe early 20s at the absolute latest, but probably late teens. You are who you are. You know, none of us have you know, we might have tweaked and 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 sort of become more self-aware, but the opportunity that your life gives you, or your career, is to either live a life in balance or out of balance, mm-hmm. right? To find a, a job or to or to build an, a, a a company um, that, uh, that 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 uh, allows you to be who you are, right? Why and allows you to work to your natural strengths. I love working here, right? I struggle working here, right? Like. <laughs> Um, yeah, I really got into this field because I love the field, but I don't like working here. I don't love it here, and I don't understand because I love the field. You know? I'm so into pottery, and yet I took this job at this pottery company, and yeah, I, don't, I don't feel it anymore. You know? And that has nothing to do with the love of, of the pottery. That has to do with the environment of the people you're with. So it's an origin story. And that's why for a person, for a person who goes through the wide discovery process, we go right back to the beginning. Where do you come from? You know, totally objective. It's not your opinion about your position in the marketplace. Um, And the same for organizations. Um, If there is no founder present, um, or preferably there is a founder, um, um, or if the company has changed hands a few times, um, you still go right back to the beginning. What is the origin story of that organization, of that company? Um, What was the problem um, that existed? Probably a personal problem or a problem that somebody that they love suffered, that they developed a solution for that problem, that were so effective that they actually ended up selling the solution to lots of other people. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's what it is. Um, uh, you know, Bill Gates' why is to help people be more productive so they can achieve their greatest potential. And the origin story is, of Microsoft is this incredible technology called the personal computer that most of us couldn't access because we didn't speak code. You know, remember, you had to know DOS to get anything done, Yeah. you know? Uh, and it was really just for geeks. I mean, it was for nerds. And it was, um, it was the development of Windows, which is a similar line that Apple took, which is the graphic user interface. So it was the software that you know, sat on top that allowed the average Joe to take advantage of this remarkable, remarkable technology, right? In other words, he found a way to help us be more productive so we can achieve our greatest potential. And, and his why hasn't changed. If you go listen to his TED talk uh, about the Gates, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you know, you can replace the word personal computer with, you know, with mosquito nets, and it's the same talk he gave in the nineteen seventies about the computer. Um, his his why, his why hasn't changed. It's what he's doing to bring that why to life um, has changed. And so it's 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 fundamentally an origin story. It's where you or your business come from, where you started.
0: Now, what if you're what if you're uh, an employee at a company that's very what driven? Yeah. Um, you're not necessarily the principal. Maybe you're a manager or yeah. you know professional there. W- what's some advice that you can give that person to help maybe cultivate a more why-driven culture?
1: Uh, there's a couple of options. Um, uh, when you know your own why, I mean fundamentally, uh, is wonderful. there's an efficiency to helping companies find their why because the better they get at talking about it, the more it'll attract people like that, right? And so it forms strong community. So there's an efficiency to that. If that if that company hasn't done that and they're very just sort of numbers-driven, 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 for an employee to learn their their why will um, will give them clarity of, of something, which is, do I really belong here in the first place? Right? And maybe, maybe I'll never find joy and happiness here because they just don't get it, right? Which means I don't connect with them. That's what that means. And so instead of bashing your head against a wall, you may realize um, I'm not I'm not the crazy one here. I just have to go somewhere else. So th- that's, that's one piece of clarity you gain. But the other part is, no, no, no. I've been here long enough that I remember a time when it was special and we've lost it. And I still do love it here and I still belong. But we've become very numbers driven. And in that case, um, understanding the why of the organization and your connection to it or your why is um, the tail can wag the dog. And I've uh, been a part of um, tail wagging the dog exercises <laughs> in, uh, in, in organizations that are very, very, very large. I'm talking huge, like, <laughs> you know, well over 100,000 people, where the, the organization had kind of lost its way, lost its why, and become much more numbers focused than it was in the past. And there were a few people inside the organization at different levels and at different places who still believed in the origin story, who still believed in the founding purpose and knew their cause and knew that this place was right for them, if only this place could get it right. Uh And so what they started to do, some of them knew about each other, but a lot of them didn't. Hmm. right? Which is they started talking about what they believed and they started talking about why this organization helps them, you know, why they love it here, right? And that message started to resonate with those who believed what they believed, And then it started to create pockets of high performance and, more importantly, high morale. And then, of course, the message spreads to the point where the senior leaders um, couldn't ignore it huh. because it was coming from every direction. Huh. And so finally, the senior leaders started saying the same things and the tail wagged the dog. Interesting. You know, and it is, it is an amazing thing to, to be a part of and to watch. When I talk about the law of diffusion of innovations, where you don't need the majority, you just need that percentage of people who believe what you believe, and then eventually it tips, to, to see it in action, you know, to actually, it's one thing to theorize about the existence of tipping points. It's quite another thing to make one. Mm-hmm. And when you can make one and you actually watch it tip, it is, it, it's a thing of beauty. I bet. I remember this particular, I remember this particular example. I got an email. There was, a, there was an event that happened that we were like, wow, it just worked. And I got an email that said, uh, the duck just wagged.
0: <laughs> uh, that's gratifying.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the answer is if you feel that you belong there, understanding your own purpose and trying to understand why you, why you love it there. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, even if you, all you can talk about is experience, even if all you can talk about is your own personal experience and anecdote, um, that that's enough, uh, to, to resonate with the people who believe what you believe.
0: Um, if you don't mind me asking, you were talking about how, discovering your why really starts from your origin, your upbringing. What was it in your upbringing that really led you to be the why guy and help other people understand their inspiration?
1: You know, it's a, it's a, it's a hard question for me um, because just like I think it's much easier to go through the why discovery process with somebody else, you know, because when you're in the middle of it, you can't see it. But when they're asking you questions, it's easy for them to see, sure, which is okay. why I can do it so efficiently, because I'm on the outside, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I can see the forest for the trees. And so, you know, asking me what it was in my childhood, you know, I couldn't tell you specifically, but I can tell you my parents are pretty awesome. <laughs> and I can tell you that I had this, this upbringing where I lived all over the world. Um, maybe that had something to do with it. Huh. Um, but I, I can tell you where the golden circle comes from. Um, in other words, the reason I, it's hard for me to answer the question is because my process is the same as everybody else's. Which is, you know, if everybody could just sit back and say, "Well, this is what happened in my childhood," that's what. But we don't know our why because if only we were that easy. And unfortunately, I've never really gone through the process in the same way. You know, because so what? The,
0: what was the what was the the, the leverage point? The, the aha moment
1: for you? Yeah, I can tell you the birth of why that I know um, in. September to December 2005, uh, and the dates are indelibly imprinted in my brain, uh, I reached probably the darkest point I've ever reached in my life. You know, I'm a pretty happy go lucky guy, and and here I reached this point of probably depression um, uh, that was like, I didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, just being unhappy was so foreign to me. And and I had a little business, um, you know, and living the American dream, started my business, first year went really well, second year went pretty good, third year wasn't bad, and by the fourth year, you know, I had now joined this very elite club in the United States of companies that have survived three years or more, right, <laughs> it's, it's a small club, uh, and so that was pretty amazing, but the, but the novelty and the excitement and the passion had worn down, because it had took me so much personal energy to get there. And um, and I was struggling. I mean, personally, you know, I'd would lost my passion for what I was doing. I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. And people would give me stupid advice like, "Do what you're passionate about." You know, it's like we know that, but what's my what am I passionate about? You know, or or this is my, or do what you love. It's like I'm doing the same thing. I don't love it anymore. You know, um, and so that was useless. Um, and I went through this dark place. And I'd already articulated this golden circle um, simply to understand why some marketing worked and some marketing didn't. I was always fascinated. How organizations of equal resources and equal talent and equal media, some worked and some didn't. I looked at all the same organizations, Apple, Harley-Davidson, Southwest, and I noticed that there was a, an order, a pattern to how they spoke to us. And so I wrote it down and called it the Gold Circle even back then. And then it sat on a shelf. It was good for PowerPoints. And it wasn't until I reached this dark point and I met someone who, um, who started to ask me, do you know how the human brain works? And I said no, and they started telling me about the neocortex and the limbic brain. And the more I started to read about it and it's basically the Neuroscience 101. I realized that the overlap of, of how the brain works and the little pattern I had on the shelf perfectly overlapped. So I hadn't discovered why, why marketing works. I discovered why people do what they do. And it was at that point that I realized that I knew what I did and I was really good at it. And I knew how I was different or better than my competition, but I couldn't tell you why I was doing it in the first place. <laughs> and, and it was my inability to answer that question that I became obsessed, absolutely obsessed, with answering that question, huh. and I figured out a system, a, a way to, to help to find my why, and more importantly, help others find theirs. And I knew I couldn't do it myself, so I actually brought somebody else in to sort of take me through sort of a bastard version of my own process, you know. And uh, and uh, I remember, I, he 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 was a he was a great guy, uh, 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 and uh, Mark Levy was his name. And uh, and he, you know, he, he charged me more than I could afford. <laughs> I mean, and I remember calling my bookkeeper and saying can I do this? And she said, you cannot do this. You know, it's like this, this is just way more money than you can afford right now. It's just really not good. And, and hung up the phone with her, called him up and said, let's do this. <laughs> and, uh, because I knew that the, that, uh, the risk, the risk, although high, um, I had to do it. Otherwise it, it would have, I would have, I would have drilled into the ground all by myself. And, um, and learning, you know, that my why is to inspire people to do the things that inspire them, you know, it gave me a it gave me a purpose. It gave me a reason to come to work in the morning, and um, and where I felt guilty that my my employees then sort of I didn't seem connected to them, and they didn't seem to respect me much. I think I think they thought I was a bit of an idiot. Um, uh, I took I used to think it was me, and I it made my struggle even worse because. Because I had the pressure of proving to them that I was an idiot or at least proving to them that I kind of knew what I was doing, which <laughs> I didn't. Um, that I had all the answers, which no one ever does. Um, and I realized it wasn't me, it was them. I had hired people who didn't believe in me. They were good at what they did, wonderful people. I can't say anything bad about them, good human beings. But fundamentally, if they thought the things that I said were hokey, that means they didn't believe in me, right? Yeah. The more I started to talk about inspiration, the more they thought it was cute. And I was like... I think this is going to, you know, I think we're not going to be able to work together anymore. And I, I, literally completely scaled back to just me. I, I decided I was going to turn myself into the guinea pig um, and prove that this thing works. And I wanted no no fuzziness or distraction. And I started from zero, all over again. And the ride was passionate from the get go. I've never had such passion like that in my life. I got out of my lease for my office, and all my friends thought I went out of business. And I'd never been happier. <laughs> and uh, um, and started making. More progress than I'd ever made in my life. I started making more connections than I ever made in my life. I started meeting people I never imagined meeting. I started getting involved in things I never imagined getting involved in. I started doing things I never imagined doing. You know, I get four, like four to six speaking requests per day now. Prior to this stuff, the amount of paid public speaking I did my whole life was one. Hmm. You know, I never imagined writing a book. I had a twenty-nine minute meeting with a publisher and 3 days later at a book deal. I mean it's like the more I talked about why, the more I talked about what I believed, other people um, who believed what I believed were willing to take the risk of me or introduce me to somebody sent towards the way they felt. And um, and, we, and and the bonds I formed were quick huh. and, and powerful. And and to this day, you know, um, I'm doggedly disciplined. At least I try to be doggedly disciplined. About only working with people who really believe what I believe. You'll, I'll never convince somebody to do work with me or to work with them, and I'll never twist anybody's arm. You know, mm-hmm. I've had opportunities where people call me up and they say, you know, and they have an answer for everything. You know, say, so, Simon, tell us your uh, your theories about the world, and I, you know, put, I spew forth, <laughs> and uh, they'll say, um, you know, in our business, it's not really like that. You know, well, you know, that's not really going to work here. I'm like, so no. What are you talking to me for? Then go hire somebody else. I'm not about to tell you, <laughs> you know? As opposed to me trying to convince them how I've worked with companies just like theirs before, and don't worry, I can do it. And you know, it's uh, you know, and, and this sort of un, sort of this confidence in being honest is a, is a, is new. Um, I, we all work to be honest. We all try to be honest. But when somebody says to us something like, "Have you worked uh, in in our industry before?" and you haven't, you know. <laughs> Have you worked with a company, you know, have you worked with a company like this before, this size, this this, this that, this problem? You know, we want to say, well, I've worked in other things just like it. You know, <laughs> I'm saying, nope, totally new. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is, <laughs> and and it, and it gives you that incredible calm and that credible release to sort of just say it as it is. And 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 a, and the strange thing is. Um, People trust that much more. They yeah. trust that you're honest than 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 saying what they want to hear.
0: Right, right. It's it's refreshing. Um, you know, you you talked about something right there that I think is such a integral piece to really living your purpose, which is who you're actually doing it for, who you're actually serving. What is your yeah. your community your, in your market? That was uh, for years. I was going into consulting programs or whatever, and a lot of times, like you're saying, you get that question asked what are you passionate about what do you do and i was so focused on that and i just kept spinning you know spinning my wheels and it got to a point where i was spending another god awful amount of money and i'm sitting in this year long you know, the beginning of this year long program and i was and i realized at that point i'm about to throw away all this money if i don't know who my real market was because i yep. wasn't able to contribute and 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 participate in all the training <laughs> And it was at that point that I wrote down who I wanted to serve for, and that was the breakthrough. So yeah. I, think that's, I think that's huge uh, in discovering your why. Um, you mentioned a philosophy that you call do no work. Tell us about what that means.
1: <laughs> I'm just You gave me a good idea, which I'm just going to jot down before I lose it. Um, which, by the way, is another thing. You know, we have lots and lots and lots of ideas that our limbic brain gives us, that subconscious brain, and we think, wow, that's a good idea and we don't write it down and we forget it immediately hmm. um, uh, or, the, or you'll remember 5 or 10% of them and so even if you never implement them I, I, I'm a great believer in, in, uh, in, in walking around with a little, a little notebook, I actually keep one in my pocket at all times um, because you never know when or where a great idea will strike um, so do no work, the concept of do no work um, which we try and practice. Um, like at the thought of it. <laughs> yeah, the, the concept of do no work has nothing to do with hours in the day. Um, it's the feeling you have towards the work you do. Um, when you do work that inspires you, that, that, that sort of captures your why and allows you to, 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 you, you know, to live your why, um, and works to your natural strengths, it doesn't feel like work. It feels effortless. Even though you're working hard, you're fully engaged, the problems are difficult, and you work long hours, Kind of enjoy it. There's kind of a love for it, you know. Um, we, you know, there's many words for it. In the flow, you know, that's one of them. You know, when I'm in the flow, um, you know, when you are passionate about something, you know, these these are the words we usually ascribe to that those feelings. And so the process, the concept of do no work is to direct your um, your job um, so that it is always appealing to your why and always working to your natural strengths. Um, so that all the work you do shouldn't feel like work um, because work sounds like effort you know it sounds like it sounds it's do work that sounds that sounds hard as opposed to going out and having fun um, which is what a lot of the stuff becomes and we all have periods of it we all have moments of it but the question is how do you actually consciously uh, direct uh, your, your your job responsibilities the work you do the direction of your company whatever whatever your role Um so that never, it never feels like work.
0: You know, I, I, I can already hear the, the pessimist saying, you know, well, it's easy for you to say, Simon, you're a big shot author or whatever. But, um, you know, or, or let's, let's, let's take maybe even a reasonable example where you have, you know, a small business owner, an entrepreneur, and they have to do, you know, they have to wear 10 hats for their business to work. Um, how do you, you know, if, if you had unlimited resources, you could say, I don't like doing that. Let me, let me delegate it out. Yeah. What if you don't? What's what's your advice so,
1: there? So it, it is an ideal. Okay, do no work is an ideal to work towards, and as opposed to having accidental, lucky, in the flow moments, you know, which you don't really know why they happened, you are just kind of like that was awesome, right? Um, is to be more prescriptive about it. So instead of a lucky ten or fifteen percent of the time, you get to the thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty percent of the time. You know, it's not. And and by the way, you know. Um, what level of success someone enjoys or what their resources are um, has nothing to do with this. We're talking about a human being engaged in, in something that brings them joy. And let me tell you, there are many, many days where I do not enjoy what I do. And, and for me, instead of saying, I hate this or I can't do this anymore, or, you know, and I have days like that, um, is to understand why am I having that feeling in the first place, like what, what, what decision did I make um, not about them, not about the client or the job or whatever that that um, that I find myself reacting this way. Yeah. Sometimes it's just fatigue, and when I'm very very tired, I say, okay, it's just fatigue, you know. And I know fatigue is my weakness, um, but it's more sophisticated than that. And I'll give you one one simple example. You know, I went to Afghanistan in August um, with uh, as a guest of the United States Air Force, and uh, I had a very intense experience while I was there, um, and really really learned what the purpose, what the the concept of purpose means. And purpose is about serving those who serve others, Mm. serving those who believe what you believe, right? Mother Teresa, who we hold up as the poster child of of complete selflessness and giving service to anyone who needs it, um, uh, hated her life and near the end of her life, um, started to question the existence of God. In other words, she wasn't fulfilled. Mm. She didn't find happiness or joy um, uh, because of it, right? Um, and this is what I learned. When I got back from Afghanistan, where I learned that the goal is not to serve all customers. The goal is to serve the people who believe what you believe. You know, the goal is not to um, um, to, 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 to try and bend over backwards so that to make everyone happy. The goal is to appeal to those who believe what you believe. And you look at the great organizations like Apple or Harley Davidson, you know, or Southwest, they know that their customers are like them. And it's not about being good to everyone. It's about being good to those who believe what we believe, right, um, doggedly. And when I got back from Afghanistan, I started to uh, thank you. I started to realize that um, uh, I became very impatient um, on a lot of my jobs, and I couldn't figure it out. I became angry, like when things would go wrong. Usually, I just sort of take things in stride. I became sort of pissed off, or or worse, I became sort of a bit of a diva, a bit of a you know where where I'm like, what do you mean I didn't get the upgrade, you know? Uh, do you have any idea how miles I, how many, many how many miles I fly? I mean, that would come out of my mouth, or at least go through my brain, you know, and uh, and I don't like feeling that way. And I started to realize that it was because when I took an engagement with an organization that wasn't service-minded, I had no patience for it. Hmm. And yet, when I took an engagement with an organization that was service-minded, it didn't matter how many things went wrong. It didn't matter what went right. It doesn't matter how. I just had endless, endless, boundless amounts of energy and enjoyed every second of it, no matter how exhausted I was at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. The other day, I did, I did an engagement with an organization that I love and they're so service-oriented. I literally, I kid you not, I worked 15 straight hours. I started at six in the morning, I was done, you know, whatever it is, 10 at night or whatever, uh, nine at night, and uh, I, I did not have a break. And and I was fine, totally fine. <laughs> enjoyed every second of it.
0: Was mm-hmm.
1: exhausted, but enjoyed every second of it. As opposed <laughs> to another engagement where I work for an hour and I'm like, don't want to talk to anybody at the end of it. Um, and so I, I started to realize, um, that that I that I was out of balance. That that, that I wasn't. Um, I was doing work, and I and I don't like it when my job feels like work. I like it when my job feels like like I'm doing what I should be doing.
0: I yeah. I think you know. Just to kind of uh, bring a conclusion to this this concept, if you are an entrepreneur and if you're in that space, at least as you're saying, identifying what it is that you feel is work so that ultimately when you get to that ideal, you know where that line is and you can separate that out. I mean, how many of us even do that probably?
1: It's it's just decision making. You know, we all do things that we don't like doing and that we don't want to do, right? And you can make the decision if you want to do it or not. And it has nothing to do with outsourcing or not outsourcing. You know, there's a lot of creative ways to outsource, like asking friends um, or family or advice or help, you know, all of these foreign concepts. Um, And that's, I think, the biggest thing I learned is I can't do it by myself and I'm okay with admitting my weaknesses, and I'm okay with saying out loud what I can't do or what I don't know, um, because the opportunity for someone to say, oh, well, I do know, um, or, I, I, or I wanna help you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's an amazing thing when you say what you believe, and people wanna help you just because they wanna be around it, as opposed to saying what you do, and people will help you if you can pay them to help you. Um, people who believe what you believe will take risk on you, um, and uh, understand that, that you're, you're a good bet, and they just and, – and, and and if you're not a good bet, they'll shrug and say, well, secretly Simon kind of just like working with you. You know, <laughs> um,
0: you know li- living in that ideal state where work is not work, where it really is fun and engaging and inspiring, why don't more people discover their why? Why are more people not – you know, why is this not front and center for a lot of people? What? Or, or here's maybe a, a – a similar but separate question which is what's the biggest threat uh, from keeping people to really truly understand their why? What keeps them stuck in the in the what driven
1: lifestyle? One, one, one is personal and one is um, environmental. Um, the personal one is um, it's, it's in this part of your brain that doesn't control language and so it's really hard to put into words and the fact that it's hard to put into words means it's hard to action it if you don't know what it is. You know, You can just trust your gut your whole life but that's a tricky thing to scale. And it's really hard to measure. And we, we live in a world in which what gets measured gets done, which is not necessarily, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this, which I love. What's the ROI of your mother? You know? <laughs> now we're, we're all pretty confident that we are who we are. We're, we, you know, we live these great lives, or you know we've been able to become you know, productive members of society very, very much because of our mothers. Uh, the question is, what's the ROI? You know? Measure that. And you can. And that's the problem. And so that's, that's one reason why we don't explore why, because, because we can't put an ROI on it um, on a day-to-day basis. But over the course of your life or career, you say, man, I am one happy mofo. <laughs> you know, that's because of your why. Um, so that's one, 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 one issue, the measurement issue. Um, and and the, other, the other issue is environmental, um, which, is, uh, which is we're living in a world which makes focusing on why more difficult. You know the time periods that we judge success by are becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. We used to judge success over the course of years. We used to plan over the course of a decade. Uh, now you're, you're you're a long-term planner. If you have a you know a one-year plan, you know, and if you can't show um, results in immediately, then you must you must be a failure. And so the environmental ones put unbelievable pressure on us, whether it's public company or private company. Uh, whether it's a big business or a small business, um, the, the, the environments um, of, of instantaneous media and instantaneous measurements and instantaneous results and web metrics and blah, blah, um, put believable pressure on us to focus on what. And so what that does, it requires tremendous courage to uh, put that aside and ignore that um, to focus on why. You know. Can you not check your portfolio every day? Can you not check your stock price every day? Can you not check you know, your, your rankings every day? Um, because you can, when you check them every day, you react to every little blip.
0: Hmm. Um, tell me a, a little bit about your thoughts on social media and, and how that's – well, social media, is that a good thing, bad thing? Pros and cons. What?
1: Which is the good thing or bad thing? It's a tool. You know, is a hammer a good tool or a bad tool? I don't know. It depends what you're trying to do, right? What?
0: what uh, its effect on on us, though. Uh, as yeah.
1: Can, so I, I have a bit of an alternative view on social media. Um, which is, you know, I believe the internet is an amazing tool to spread information. It's an amazing tool to connect people. It's an amazing tool to drive the speed of transactions. But it is completely useless to help build strong human bonds. Right? You can find people who like what you like, right? Uh, But you can't form love. You can't form human connection. It's very, very difficult. Just like we said, the video conference will never replace, you know, um, the business trip. It it just will never happen. You'll never have a peace deal signed over a video conference. It'll never happen. And, you know, I I sort of, Upset the blogosphere when I talk about this because I don't think the internet is the end all be all, and it's not really a social medium at all. Um, you know, we talk at each other. We don't talk. We don't listen. You, you know, um, um, and there's not a there's not a single company on the planet that that has a, a, a community blog uh, from which any innovation was derived. It's usually a, a bitch fest, is what it is, um, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, the blogosphere sort of lights up when I speak about these things, and yet my question is always the same, which is, um, every single year, twenty thousand bloggers descend on Las Vegas uh, to attend a conference called Blog World. My question is, why couldn't you do it online?
0: Yeah.
1: Because nothing replaces human contact. that's why. you know and and so in our in our increasingly social media world, where, you know, uh, we think we're making friends on, on Facebook and we think we're knowing who they are. And by the way, who says what they write on Facebook is true in the first place? You know, and how selective is our, is our site? You know, you see somebody who does the three things that you like and the 50,000 pictures that they've got, and you're like, she's for me. You know? <laughs> we're made for each other. Right. You know, we, we, we create our own fantasies. And, um, and we're not really learning who people are. We're learning what they do. Um, um, we're not really learning what makes them tick. We're just learning what they tell us they're interested in, um, and uh, and you lose that sense, that ability to read someone, to get a feeling for someone, to get a gut check on them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that you can't do that. You just cannot. You know, you and I are having a nice conversation, but there's there's no feelings associated with this with this interaction. And yet, one day, if we ever get to meet for a, a cup of coffee or something, we'll shake hands. We'll be like, "Hey, really nice to meet you." <laughs> that's when the connection will happen, right? <laughs> Um, or not. We don't know. Yeah, nice guy. Yes, You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 there's nothing wrong with social media if it is used alongside of sort of normal uh, getting to know people. Um, but don't think it can replace it. Don't think it can replace it. And, and, and uh, you know, I just kind of disobey all the social media rules, and they haven't hurt Um you know, I, I didn't understand the idea of having a dialogue with people on Twitter. You know, it's um, it's not really a dialogue. I say something, you say something, I say something, you say something. You're yeah, you know, and um, it's not that's not a dialogue. That's just statement after statement. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really reply to that many people on Twitter. I don't really sort of like engage with people. Um, I use it as a Uh, as a as a repository for my ideas like when i have a cookie little idea i post it on twitter and strangely enough people want to read them uh you know i literally started using it because i couldn't i I was tired of working on little scraps of paper that i tore from napkins and you know sugar packets and i thought well i'll put them there you know i have this account that i never used um and people started listening started reading them and sharing them um but it's, it's, not a, it's not social. Now, now if you're connecting with your friends, that's different, then you're using the medium to connect with people you already know, I, I think that's great. Um, and if you're using the medium to give people information about your company, I think that's great too. Spread of information, good. Connecting with people, good. But the development of, 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 of human bonds, of close human bonds and, and deep, deep, deep trusting relationships?
0: Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Um, we're, uh, we're getting towards the end of our, our call here, but I wanted to, uh, I've seen this done on interviews before. I'm not a professional interviewer by any means, but um, where, you know the interviewer will throw out a word and, and you throw your, your first word or first uh, f- phrase that comes to mind after I say the word. So first response type type thing. Um, did you follow that?
1: Yeah, I'll respond to what you say, and, and, and then um, sadly I have to jet, but I'm enjoying myself. Okay. Which is why I'm getting yelled at from behind.
0: Gotcha. Um, so, innovation. I'm in the flow. What's what? Uh, <laughs> innovation, ideas, uh, leadership, people, passion, love, um, Steve Jobs, uh-huh. a leader. Believer. No, uh, a leader. Oh, a leader. Bill Gates. A leader. Martin Luther King. A leader. <laughs> Barack Obama. Could have been a leader. Interesting. Uh, Kim Kardashian. Don't care. <laughs> Had to throw that one in there. Technology. Uh, convenient. Google. Could have been a leader. Facebook. Real potential to lead. And uh, last but not least, America. God bless this place, man. Right on. Well, good Good place to uh, to wrap it up right there. Simon, I really appreciated uh, the call today. And again, why don't you tell people who are watching this video where they can go to find out more about the Why Discovery process and what you guys are up to. Uh, You you can
1: learn your why at startwithwhy.com if you click on the Why University. um, And we have a nice little community for people to join in who want to talk and and be heard. Um, uh, On the same website, startwithwhy.com, there's a blog that gives ideas on how to implement your why. And there's a lot of free resources as well. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter if you like 140 characters of inspiration, (laughs) uh, which is at Simon Sinek. Um, And the book Start With Why is now available in paperback. So you can have it in hardcover, paperback, audio. I'll come to your house and read it to you if you want. There you go. (laughs) Um, Available in fine bookstores everywhere and some not-so-fine ones as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I know you're busy. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. Take care, son.